Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Ken Cousin. Hi, Ken. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm not bad. Whereabouts are you based right now? Because I know you travel a bit, right? Uh, I do, but I'm actually home for a change. Uh, not for long. Uh, I'm in uh, Marlborough, Connecticut. Um, if you have a rough idea where New York City is and you know basically where Boston is, uh, Connecticut's in the middle. And I know you and I had chatted in the past, I think it was a while ago, that, uh, you know, as someone that does Groovy, I said, hey, you know, if you ever take a look at Kotlin, you should come on the show and give us some perspective of a mostly Groovy developer, what you feel in regards to Kotlin and how you see it. And you did take me up on that offer and I appreciate it. And how long have you actually uh, been playing now with Kotlin? Well, that's a, it's a very interesting question. It's a very interesting topic. Um, I'll mention that what triggered this, what, what got me interested in the language, what, what drove me to that direction were two things. One is that I also spend a portion of my time uh, in the Android world. And of course, in Android, you're still kind of stuck on Java 6, even though the latest versions of Android support lambdas and a few other things from Java 8, it's not a very comfortable way of coding. Whereas, of course, Kotlin is an excellent way of coding on Android. And of course, at, what was it, uh, 2015, I guess, or 16? When was it that Google I.O. announced that Kotlin was the officially supported language for Android? That was last year, two, 2017. Oh, was that recent? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, that was one driver. The other driver was also about a year and a half maybe a little longer. Uh, I also speak on Gradle, you know, the build tool. And of course, Gradle has come out and announced that they too are going to make a second DSL. Uh, they've had a DSL forever for your build file to use in Groovy, but they're also going to support Kotlin as the DSL language. They're now calling it Kotlin DSL inside there. I think they're probably within oh months or two of, of releasing 1.0 on that. So they're getting pretty close. So both of those were drivers for me to get interested in the language at all. Now, I started off, um, I don't know, I, I haven't, I, I've been working on it for a good year or so, but that's not really fair because it's mostly part-time. It's only in the last couple of months that I've really done something intensive on it. Uh, I did pick up the, the Kotlin in Action book, which I thought was just outstanding. I mean, that, that's one of the best books I've ever read, technical books. And I also uh, worked my way through much of that uh, Kotlin for Android book as well. Is it Antonio Levia, I think, is the person yeah. who wrote that? Yeah. Right? And I've watched some of your videos on um, Safari. Yeah. Nice. So you started kind of taking this seriously, quote, unquote, seriously around, you said, two, three months ago, right? When you actively started to write Kotlin code? It's more that I ramped up the interest. I mean, I, I'd already been interested in the language and I'd already made vague promises on the No Fluff Tour that I was going to speak about it, which uh, is one of those aspirational types of talks where you say, oh, sure, I'll learn this in time to talk about it. And then you get panicky. Two weeks before the talk, right? You're like, oh, damn, did I come right. to this? <laughs> so I started digging into the Kotlin cones and everything. And I've been a very big supporter of IntelliJ especially the uh, IntelliJ IDEA software, again, that was partly triggered when Google switched to Android Studio for Android apps. I'd been interested in IntelliJ for a long time before that, but that was the last straw. That was like, okay, I got to get away from this Eclipse-based system. I think that's a, that's a few years earlier, and I've been working with 
IntelliJ ever since and playing around with Kotlin uh, off and on for quite some time. So it's just really getting serious about it was the last few months, but I guess that's a longer answer than you intended. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if I think about it, essentially what I need to do is just kind of like, you know, as, as, a, as, as my role of developer advocate is just sit back and just pray that uh, Google announce things right <laughs> because yeah, right. <laughs> you know like I, um, I don't need to do any work right just let, just let google announce things so that people adopt it <laughs> well i had i gotta say though i did watch uh, at least one of your videos you know when you go around and talk about kotlin and last year at the gradle summit uh, there was a kotlin video or there was a kotlin presentation as well by oh i can't believe i'm blanking on his name the the person who was at square and then went to google uh jake Wharton. Yes, right, right. So Jake Wharton gave a talk then as well. And, you know, I, it's like I learned the language in stages. You know, I learned the basic syntax, but I didn't really get it. And then you watch one of these videos and you start going, oh, right, that'll simplify life a lot and start understanding some of the more advanced features and stuff. And as I say, I, I'm basically at the stage now where I'm comfortable reading most of the Kotlin that I run into. When it comes to writing it, I still need the reference guide handy. I still have to make sure I'm using it idiomatically correctly if I can, you know, by using examples and things like that and keeping the books from, you know, but I'm getting there. So as someone that doesn't really know Groovy, which is me, mm. yeah. uh, many times when I talk about Kotlin, right. And, and, you know, they say like, you know, Kotlin is ba is heavily inspired by multiple languages, including Java, Scala, uh, some th aspects of uh, C sharp. And and of course Groovy, right? And there right. there's a com there's a few things in there, namely the ability I believe that you can kind of drop uh, parentheses when the last argument to a, to a function is another function, and you can refer to lambdas that have single parameters. You can refer to the to the parameters with it, which which I believe this is also available in Groovy, right? There are many, many similarities. In fact, one of the frustrations I have as a groovy person is when I see people put up articles that say, oh, these eight things convinced me to try Kotlin or whatever, and like seven of them are from Groovy or very closely related to things Groovy's been able to do for years. So yes, the the um, safe navigation operator, question mark, dot, you know, I don't know what, if you give it a name in Kotlin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's... that's Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's the safe operator, yeah. Okay, the safe operator. Yeah, I've been using that in Groovy forever. Uh, the Elvis operator came from Groovy as well. Um, many other, uh, the extension methods, Groovy has both compile time metaprogramming using what they call AST transformations. So annotations that trigger the abstract syntax tree transformations, like at canonical, if you put at canonical, on a groovy pogo, plain old groovy object with just attributes in it, that's essentially a data class. It doesn't have a copy method like a data class would, but it has getters and setters for all the properties. It has uh, a named argument constructor. It has a tuple constructor. It has uh, a two string method, an equals method, a hash code method, all of those. So these are things that I've been using for years and they just have a different name and a different approach in Kotlin. Of course, there are some significant differences. Do you want to start talking about some of those as well? Well, one of the things, I mean, we can, but before I, 
before getting sure. to that, one of the things I wanted to ask is, given that there are similarities, uh, mm -hmm. did you find it hard to get to, I mean, you know, you said that well, I can kind of read Kotlin code now, but I still sometimes struggle with writing it. These similarities actually don't help you in that sense? They do. I mean, they're close enough to get a little confusing in a way because, you know, you when you switch technologies, just keeping the syntax straight and everything is is a bit of a of a game. But honestly, that it really made my path easier in most ways because I didn't have to struggle with any of those concepts. The idea of using closures again. I mean, this is one. Uh, I find it interesting that Kotlin and Groovy both use the exact same syntax for closures. Uh, because Java 8, of course, does not. You know, Java 8 lambdas took a different approach to it. Um, I found quite surprising, for example, that in Kotlin, with the closures, you can modify variables in scope, you know, that, that are de declared in, in the method but outside the closure itself. Yeah, I was quite surprised by that. I mean, you could do that in Groovy, too, so it was very comfortable. But I was surprised because I didn't expect, um, <clears throat> pardon me, in a, in a language that spends so much time on null safety and locking everything down and everything, I just didn't expect to be able to modify closure variables out to find outside the closure itself. But still, the, the similarities to Groovy made the path for all of those things very straightforward. It's, it's only when the um, syntax was slightly different that I had to keep paying attention, you know, think about it a lot there. One of the tweets that you mentioned, you know, you said yet another article praising Kotlin for multiple features, every single one of which has been available in Groovy for years. Okay, fair enough. However, isn't Groovy by and large, and I know that there is a static option, but isn't Groovy by and large a dynamic language? Okay, that is actually an interesting question. Okay, so because there's there's static and dynamic typing and there's static and dynamic binding, right? So the typing is whether you declare a data type for a variable and how you use it. And the binding, of course, is whether you can override methods and override classes and things like that. Now, in Groovy, they call it dynamic, but the implication by some people is that it's not even a compiled language, and that's not true. Everything is compiled. The dynamic typing part is that Groovy has a keyword called def, D-E-F, that lets you declare a variable without assigning a type until runtime. Then it takes on the type of whatever you've assigned it to, much like var and JavaScript or some other languages as well. I'll tell you, though, in Groovy is actually optionally typed. If you declare a variable of type string or of type date or of type employee, then that's all you can assign it to, you know, or one of its subclasses, just like in Java or Kotlin for that matter. So what happens is, is you have this option to use def, but the vast majority of coders, the vast majority of code in Groovy uses the actual static type. Uh, Dirk Koenig, who's the lead author on Groovy in Action, he likes to say, if I'm coding and I think of a type, I type it, pun intended, you know? And I find myself that I've been using Groovy since roughly 2007. As I gain more and more experience with it, I use def less and less. I probably do 80 to 90%, sometimes even more static types. I actually say the types, but that that 10%, that 5% of edge cases where life becomes much simpler with def is really useful. Uh, as another example, like, <clears throat> pardon me, in Grails, for example, the, the web framework, 
in the controllers in in uh, Grails, controllers receive HTTP requests, and then they can do one of a number of things. They can forward you to a a, a GSP, to a, a view layer resource. They can redirect you to a different URL. They can return a map, which becomes added to the request. And then again, you go to another resource. They could do several things. So what they do in Grails in the framework is that a controller is you normally return def because that way you can return something or nothing. It doesn't really matter. Now that puts the burden on the caller, of course, because they don't know what they're getting back. But the caller in that case is the framework. And the framework knows exactly what the possibilities are. So the people writing the framework are able to handle all those possibilities and therefore make life easier on the developer. So that's a sort of edge case where DEF becomes very, very useful. The other place I use DEF a lot, for example, is if I'm parsing JSON data or parsing XML, then knowing that the return type on this parse method is what they call a gpath result or something like that, that doesn't give me any benefit. That doesn't help my IDE. That doesn't help the compiler because the compiler doesn't know the structure of the JSON data. You know, if I'm going to walk the tree or whatever. So having to say that isn't really an advantage, the normal advantage you get from static typing. So when I'm doing those parsing operations, I don't mind using def for things like that. And it simplifies the code a bit. So Groovy's not really dynamically typed and it's not really statically typed. It's optionally typed. And I mean, there are cases uh, in, I mean, in C Sharp, you also have the dynamic keyword, which allows you to essentially not give a, a variable, a specific type at compile time. And there are edge cases where that is useful. For instance, when you're trying to read from an HTTP endpoint and you don't want to create the whole structure of data classes beforehand, right? Uh, right. But Generally, if you look at a language such as C Sharp, the majority of people are not using dynamic. They, they were, when, when it first came out, a lot of people started to do some things around, uh, you know, having dynamic invocation of methods by basically having a dynamic SQL library, etc. But overall, people have stuck to the static nature of the language. So my question is, do people overall stick to the dynamic nature of Groovy? They, well, like I say, most of the experienced developers I know um, don't really use the, the def keyword that often. I mean, it's, like I say, it probably shows up roughly 5 to 10% of the time, you know, among experienced developers. So it's, it's a question of, do you want to rule it out at the language level, or do you want to give people the freedom to use it if necessary? And that's, that's kind of an interesting uh, question. So personally, I use it minimally, but when I use it, I like it. See, it's, it's, I often want to ask some of these people who are really good developers who don't like dynamic typing, I want to say to them something like, well, what if you personally had the opportunity to do dynamic typing occasionally, just where it made your life simpler? Would you be able to handle it? Would you be okay with it? Would you be able to be productive? Because I see a lot of people talk about you know, prohibiting dynamic typing are generally talking about other developers. You know, I've got to keep the junior developers or the bad developers on my team from writing bad code. And of course, we know as you get more senior, you can't keep bad developers from writing bad code. You know, they'll move heaven and earth to write horrible code, you know. And if you're, you know, it's basically if you're a decent or if you're a good experienced developer, 
it's an extra tool in your toolkit and you go, okay, I'll use it where it helps and where it doesn't help, I won't. I'm actually more concerned, not about the dynamic typing, but about the dynamic binding, about the fact that, that like C sharp, you can't override anything. I mean, all your classes are in Java, they'd be final by default. And that to me is a much, much more severe restriction, I would think. In Kotlin, you mean? In Kotlin, yes. everything is final by default. Well, that goes against the idea that you need to think about your inheritance model, right? And often well, certainly, we do not. But, but that also makes the assumption that I'm going to be able to predict every possible use of my class down the road. I'm going to be able to predict it ahead of time, back when I'm writing it. Whereas I'm much more of the opinion that there's going to be uses that this could be put to that I did not anticipate. Now, again, I don't have a concrete example on that, you know, but I like the freedom. Now, you saw what happened with the Spring Framework people is, of course, Spring in general does a lot of its services by generating proxies. And if, if you're proxying an interface, that's no big deal. But if you're trying to do a proxy on a class, they have to extend the class and override the methods, intercept the method call, apply the service, and then call the method directly. If everything is locked down, that becomes impossible. So they had to put in a plugin, right, to open up all of the Kotlin classes just so they could proxy them? Well, you can use a plugin, which is something that we created, uh, but you can obviously decorate your classes as open as well. I mean, you don't need to but use the plugin. But the fact that you had to do that, the fact that you had to provide a plugin because you know weren't thinking originally about, oh, what about Spring or whatever. I mean, I get it. And again, it's not a serious problem. It's a design issue. And there are many ways you can go on these issues, of course, and that's the way you decided to go. I mean, I get it. It's just that, to me, that's enforcing a restriction at the language level, which may not necessarily be the best level for the developers, you know? Right, uh, but let, let me give you uh, another argument there. Sure. Would you say that long inheritance chains are good or bad? No, no, no. That you're right. I, I don't want highly coupled long inheritance chains. Okay. I completely Would you on. favor a composition over inheritance? Oh, absolutely. Right. And Groovy, by the way, has a, an annotation called at delegate. It's an AST transformation. It automatically takes all the methods from a contained object and exposes them through the container. Yeah, kind. Of, uh, I'm assuming it's a little bit like the delegated by delegation, first class delegation in Kotlin. Much like that, yes, yeah. it, almost exactly. Right, so, uh, and given the fact that Kotlin allows me to essentially create extensions to a class, and given the fact that we, you know, have beaten to death the idea that a class should have a single responsibility, uh -huh. you know, how, how far do you have to take this concept that by locking down a class, you are potentially limiting the, what, a developer that eventually might want to inherit from that class can or cannot do, right? Maybe maybe it's easier, maybe it's actually better in the long term to, to have them create a different class. Well, here's the thing. These are fundamental design issues that are very valuable. And when you try to discuss them in the abstract, like we're discussing, I certainly see your point and I certainly understand it. But there are reasonable differences. You know, people can go different ways on, on all of these issues. And if they couldn't, we wouldn't have all these different programming languages. It's not like you're ultimately going to have one language in general, I don't think. I think 
just different languages are basically expressions of the opinion of the developers as their, their priorities. Because every time you add a feature, there's not just pros, there's also cons too. I mean, we're seeing this, we're seeing this, for example, one of the biggest, most controversial things going on right now is the, the new package management system in Java 9, right? And they have fundamentally changed the nature of public and private, right? And, you know, every language is going to have to accommodate that. And when I talk to some people who are in favor of it, they're like, oh, well, we never had true encapsulation before. And you could use reflection and get at anything you wanted. And I'm like, yeah, and look at all the good that came from that instead of the bad. You're now throwing that out saying that now we have true encapsulation, but look at the cost. Look at how everybody's code is having to be rewritten and, and every library you work with is gonna to have to be refactored and you've got automatic modules and unnamed modules and all this transitional stuff. I mean, what a mess. Well, technically, yes and no, right? Because, uh, I mean, I've not delved too deeply into Java 9, but mm -hmm. I believe that you don't need to rewrite things to use them with legacy systems, no? Right. No, you don't have to. But if you decide to modularize, okay, if you decide to go with that, and of course the JDK is already modularized. My experience, by the way, with that is, is that if you own all the code, it's actually a rather straightforward process. You don't have any problems adding in the module info file and declaring requires and, and, and support or uh, open and, and export exports and everything. Those are all fine. The difficulty comes when you are relying on a third-party library that has not yet modularized. That's where all the integration problems come in. That's where life gets complicated in terms of naming and, and so on. Plus, in course, in Groovy, they have a couple of packages that are going to wind up in multiple two separate modules, and that's no longer allowed. So there's all these extra complications that are coming from using this modularity system, which was added in order to give us, quote, true encapsulation and get rid of the so-called jar hell of not being able to order your jar files and everything like that. In other words, all I'm trying to say is, is that there's pros and cons to every design decision that's made. Absolutely. And different languages take different takes on that. And that's no all. argument there. So one of the things that you also mentioned is you said that, or when we're, we're talking previously, you said that you feel that there are some things that regarding the language that might be considered controversial that you that whether you could mention them on the show, right? I don't know <laughs> if you were referring to this one or some other things. Oh, no, we're having all those discussions. Oh, now. we are already. Oh, come on. I mean, there's some, yeah, there's some things in Kotlin that I really like, for example. I mean, even simple syntax things. I love the way you can take your method declaration and just say equals and put the one liner right after it rather than having to, you know, open up the braces and go ahead and put something in there. I, I like that. I think that's really slick. I'm still not sure how I feel about these top level methods, you know, although. Again, I've written Groovy scripts, so I can't complain about it too much. And just like in Kotlin, a class is ultimately being generated, and these are becoming functions in the class. Same thing happens in Groovy. You ultimately get a class that extends the script class, and everything you wrote winds up in there. Okay, so, but hold on a second. Let, let's think about that, right? Uh, sure. You said you, you uh, with the functions, mm. right? What is the concern there? I mean, you know, if you look at a language like Java, you end up with a series of top-level functions that you're going mm. to somehow encapsulate in an in a object, which you're going to name blah, 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 utils or something helper, helper. 
which is going to hold a bunch of functions which you in some way believe are ha have some cohesion between them. How is that actually different from having them, for example, in a file without that top level object? No, you're absolutely right. No, I completely agree with you. And in fact, that's probably the motivation. Well, that's one of the motivations for why they added default methods to interfaces in Java 8, because now you can put your actual implementations inside the interface and Kotlin just takes it one step beyond and says, oh, and static methods as well, right? Is that static methods and interfaces are an attempt to avoid creating utility classes. I mean, there maybe there never would have been a collections class had they been able to add all those methods to collection as the interface. And again, you don't even have statics exactly. You've got companion objects and it's just, an object is a singleton and everything. It's just a very interesting, different approach that just takes a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, and all. I mean, by all accounts, you can actually have an object and have your functions associated with that object and treat that object as your as your utility class if you want, right? Right. Uh, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I get it, uh, especially like when you compare it to something like JavaScript, you're essentially ending up in the same situation. Where, but whereas it, with JavaScript, I guess it's a little bit even different in that a file isn't, you know, the end result of the file isn't really a file anyway. I mean, you know, a lot of times you merge everything into a single file, or there isn't really scope in terms of packages, etc., in the, in the JavaScript space. Well, I mean, you can use modules and everything, but you know, natively to the language, there isn't. Well, uh, I think I think we can both agree that whatever you know drawbacks or whatever Kotlin and or Groovy may have, we both can unite and say we're both way, way better than JavaScript. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to compare. I mean, I'm not a fan of JavaScript. Right. Uh, when you were saying earlier, like that, that's why there's multiple languages and there's not just going to be one language to rule them all. I, I'm fully happy with that. And I really have nightmares whether that language will ever be and whether that will be JavaScript, because then that's where I, you know, as they say in Spanish, just hang up my stuff and leave the door, right? Because I'm not going to live in a world where there's only JavaScript. Right, right. And, you know, that's the thing about JavaScript, though, is that, you know, they, they keep making attempts at cleaning it up, you know, TypeScript and ES6 and all these things and making it better. And of course, people mention Kotlin native, right? As your attempt to say, let's replace JavaScript with Kotlin. I I see so many attempts to generate transpilers, you know, to, to write, write in one language and have it generate JavaScript. And yet in the end, JavaScript keeps going on. I mean, if you look at the amount of code in the world right now, I imagine the amount of JavaScript and the amount of Python out there exceeds all of the things we're talking about. And those are both not only dynamically typed, they're not even compiled. I mean, they're interpreted languages. So we're, we're discussing, you know, things that I agree with you that I would say are better approaches in many ways, but it's, it's a big world out there. And a lot of people are doing things in ways that we necessarily wouldn't, wouldn't uh, advocate. Now as a groovy developer, yeah, where are you sitting um, with Kotlin? I mean, do you see it as potentially becoming one of your languages in your toolbox? And I think Kotlin has already demonstrated that in the Android world, it's going to be extremely successful. I don't know that I trust any of the numbers I've seen coming out of it yet. I do not know what the 
percentage of projects isn't everything that are existing projects are going to be in Kotlin, but it looks like most new development done by good developers is very strongly favoring Kotlin. And, and I think that's an excellent thing. That's a good thing. Groovy runs on Android, by the way. We've got a couple people who've worked on a Groovy plugin, but it's clear it's not going to catch on. It's not going to be an officially supported language at all. So why do you uh, think? Google. I mean, you know, when you're saying going back again to we had all of this in Groovy, mm -hmm. what what is Kotlin bringing to the table? Why do you think that this happened? One of the best features of the Groovy community is that they are very, very friendly, very, very welcoming. The, among the most humble geniuses I've ever met, you know, people like Paul King or Guillaume LaForge or Graham Roche or Jeff Brown. I mean, they're very, very easy people to deal with and, and very welcoming toward newcomers and everything. And the, they say sometimes your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. One of the problems with that is that they don't tend to stand up and, and advocate all the time about what they're doing. They, they, don't, they don't tend to brag about it and talk about all these successes and everything. And I think that hurts the marketing side of it, if you will. There's the perception issues also. Uh, I also, now again, that's nothing against. So are you saying that we brag a lot about things? No, see, I don't mean to imply there's anything about, <laughs> about the Kotlin kidding. community. The Kotlin community has been charming. I have found no problems whatsoever. Uh, I don't know how much of what the Kotlin advocates have done has directly been connected to the success that they have had. I think that, you know, there's lots of alternative languages and there's lots of uh, advocates out there. Um, I think the real turning point was when Google went and said um, that they were going to adopt it for Android. I think another thing that happened with Kotlin, of course, is that it's created by an IDE manufacturer, and therefore the IDE support is exceptional. I mean, of, of course it is. Why wouldn't it be, right? Fr frankly, I think that's why the Kotlin DSL in Gradle is eventually going to be pretty popular. I say eventually because I'm, I'm still not quite convinced it's ready for prime time yet, but it's on its way. You know, it will be soon. And I think the reason it'll be popular is because you're often dealing in those cases with what they call build masters, you know, people who are not necessarily hardcore developers, but need to maintain this stuff. And to people like that, IDE support is a very high priority. Now, Groovy, again, gives you the freedom to get yourself into trouble. You know, you're able to do runtime metaprogramming and you're able to uh, use that def keyword. And, and there's a lot of things that you have the power to do that maybe you need to know a little bit more before you should do a lot. And that makes people a little nervous. I mean, I love the compile static and stuff like that, but I understand you need a little bit more experience. Frankly, I think the biggest difference right now when I deal with Groovy versus Kotlin is Kotlin is still so young. There are so many things that Groovy has that Kotlin has not yet added or considered yet that I, I wonder what the language is going to look like in two or three years. In terms of someone that is coming to uh, Kotlin, what do you recommend that they should look at um, as a Groovy developer? Okay, well, uh, in fact, I'm hoping to give some talks on Kotlin at Groovy conferences, in fact, so I can help that. But the truth of the matter is, is that the languages are sufficiently similar that you, we can just focus on the differences as a Groovy developer, just focus on the pieces that you need to do slightly differently, the lack of statics, you know, the use of companion objects, the, the dynamic, uh, or rather the, the lack of dynamic anything, the static typing, the null safety, of course. Uh, I would say that, again, the Groovy, uh, I'm sorry, Kotlin in action 
is one of the strongest technical books I've, I've ever read. I used to say that about Groovy in Action. And I love Groovy in Action and Kotlin Action. is it's uh, I think it's been a great advocate for the industry because it's such an easy book to read and so well written and so well coded too. Um, so I think that uh, the fact that you could do try.kotlin.org or kotlinlang.org, is that where it is? Yeah, correct. Yeah, I think that's a, a benefit as well. I'm not as big an advocate of the cones not because I think there's anything wrong with them, but I think they can be a little intimidating to beginners because there's so many and they get complicated fast. It's like you kind of need to know something about what you're doing before you get lost in those. And for a beginner, yeah. you go to like three or four, you get lost. You yeah, know? and it's very much oriented towards, uh, I will, you would say, JVM developers. Yes, right, right, exactly. Um, so I think that's not as the that that's not the first thing I would suggest for beginners, but uh, definitely the there's plenty of excellent resources for learning the language, and I think for groovy people, I would be when I talk to them, I'm going to be explaining uh, what's not there, you know, that the groovy people are expecting, as opposed to what Kotlin does bring to the table. I haven't really hit anything in Kotlin yet that Groovy doesn't do somehow, you know? But I think that's not a drawback. I think that's just because Groovy has been out for like 13 years. You yeah. know, it's an Apache project now. It's It's been through many of the, by the way, that's where our, our downloads doubled is when they became a top level project at Apache, the number of downloads went up by at least two and a factor of two. And it was uh, very impressive now too. It's just very quiet. Yeah. By the way, Groovy incidentally is, the only language I know of that's not trying to replace the previous language, every Groovy system I know of has both Groovy in it and Java in it. You know, it's it's very rare to get something that's exclusively Groovy. And I mean, even the Grails framework itself is written almost completely in Java at this point. There's Groovy stuff in it too, of course, especially for the DSLs, but it's it's an integration language. And the integration is so clean, it's easy for Java developers to pick up. Kotlin, I still feel like when I write in Kotlin, I may be using some Java functionality, and I know Java can call Kotlin without a problem, but I'm primarily thinking in Kotlin at that point. Okay, but that's... That's, that's normal. That's fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still 100% interop, right? And a lot of projects are exactly in the same boat as with Groovy that you mentioned. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah that's the beauty of being on the JVM, and I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, we've really run out over time. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. That was that was really kind. I I was quite surprised, and and uh, I'm I hope I represented things well enough for you. Absolutely, it was great having you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>